0: you so much. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Thanks, Winston. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. It will be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible or a smartphone. Verses 1 through 10. We will look through a lot of this chapter today, but we're only going to read the first 10 verses. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up. And at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this incredible day. Jesus, we praise you because you are Jesus of Nazareth. You are Lord, and you are Messiah, and you are King, and you are Healer. You are our teacher and friend. You are our savior. And we ask now Holy Spirit to be our teacher. To guide us. To open our hearts and minds of each and every person here. And Jesus I praise you that you are the good and great shepherd. You know our needs. You know exactly what we're going through and walking in right now. And you know how to minister best to each of us. So Holy Spirit be poured out upon us now. And bring encouragement and strength and comfort and conviction of sin Lord Jesus, that you would glorify your name now. May my words be your words and nothing else. So that when we leave here today, we would love you more deeply. We would give great glory to you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, it's been said a couple of times. Welcome to the church at Woodbine. And if you are here for the first time, we're so glad that you're here. And we started, last week, a very short sermon series out of the book of Acts. And I want to encourage you, I think Winston shared it last week, I want to encourage you, read the entire book of Acts this month. We're only going to spend four weeks on the book, and it's an amazing book. It is my favorite book of the Bible. So is Hebrews, and so is Luke, but no. The book of Acts is an incredible book, and there's 28 chapters in it. So we're going to be going four weeks, so hey, 28 days. If you haven't started the book of Acts, you'll just have to read a couple chapters extra each day to catch up. But Acts 1 through 28. Right now we're going to land just here on chapter 3. And I want to give a little bit of background just what's going on in this book. Jesus has already died, he was buried, he rose from the dead, and he ascended. We just celebrated Holy Week a couple of weeks ago. We just celebrated Resurrection Sunday, two Sundays ago. And so for the next four weeks, we're going through the book of Acts. Right here in chapter 3 is a couple weeks after Pentecost. Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came down upon about 120 believers, filled them with His presence, and Holy Spirit is God Himself. They began to speak in tongues. They went out onto the street. People thought they were drunk. Peter preached, and in one day, 5,000 people. How many? Oh, that y'all don't sound excited at all. 5,000 people. Think about 5,000 people in one day becoming part of the church. So you have 12 apostles and 100 people, 120 people. Think of how busy they are going to be with 5,000 new believers all on their hands. Think about it. Just families and teenagers and kids and widows, pagans, Jewish people that now need to learn all about Jesus. So can you imagine how busy Peter and John and the rest of the apostles are? And how much is going on there in Jerusalem? Think of the turmoil that's going on. They killed Jesus. The Romans and the Jewish leaders were so upset, they crucified Jesus. And just very few weeks after that, you've got 5,000 Jesus freaks. Totally excited about Jesus. So think about what's going on in the life of Peter and John. Last week, Winston shared with us four things about bearing witness. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells the apostles, You will receive power. Say it. Power. Power. And the Greek word is dunamai. And I'm probably pronouncing it in Spanish, so sorry. Dunamis, it means dynamite power. You will receive dynamite power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria... Judea was the region north of Jerusalem. Samaria was in between Jerusalem and Judea. It's like these concentric circles that go out. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. We're called to be witnesses. We don't go do evangelism. I can remember in college, I'd go to the junior college down the street. Because I went to a little Christian college where everybody was a Christian, supposedly. So we'd go to the pagan junior college. And we would cold turkey people, I'd have a clipboard with all these questions, and I was basically tricking them into get into a spiritual conversation. Had some good ones. I also had some people cuss me out. And I won't tell you what they told me, but they talked a whole lot about stuff that I'm not going to repeat. Sorry. And I'd walk away very justified. Jesus said, I'd get persecuted, but unfortunately, I was probably more obnoxious for the gospel than it was actually a loving testimony and witness. Of who Jesus is. We are called to be witnesses. We don't go do evangelism. We are evangelism. Because Jesus lives inside of us. When people see us they should see Jesus. How hard does an apple tree need to work to produce apples? How hard would an apple tree have to work to produce onions? Really hard. Good job Mike. If we are naturally abiding in Christ every day, allowing His Spirit to flow in and through us, we will naturally be His witnesses. And Winston challenges us with four things. We are to bear witness in the power. Dunamite, dunamis, whatever it is. Dynamite, power of who? Holy Spirit. That is God living inside of us. Think about it. If you love Jesus, if you have put your faith in Christ, The promise is Holy Spirit, who is God himself, abides in you, lives in you. Think about that. Think about how powerful and amazing that truth is. And we're to bear witness of power of Holy Spirit living inside of us. The second thing is we're to bear witness to Jesus as a real person. Jesus lived. He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. He was crucified in Jerusalem. He rose from the dead right outside of Jerusalem. And he ascended back to heaven. Jesus is more real than your hands that you can see in front of you. The fourth thing we're bear- to bear witness to is the Lord and Messiah with everyone. Everyone we come in contact with. We are commanded And we have the incredible privilege to be his witnesses proclaiming who Jesus is. He is Lord. He is Messiah. He's Savior of the world. Today we're going to talk about your story. You have a story and I have a story. And one of the questions I'm going to ask at the end of the service is, how is Jesus changing you? How is Jesus working in your life? But before we do that, I got another question. Over the past hundred years, what has been the most influential piece of technology that's been created? Over the past hundred years? Internet? The airplane that was created, actually invented, actually 150 years ago? The automobile? The train? The microwave, the TV, the cell phone, the smartphone. I have a real good friend in Mexico. He would always say uh, telefonos what do you call smartphones in Spanish? Teléfono. yeah. Te hace tonta la gente. Smartphones made smart people dumb. <laughs> and he would he didn't have one. I don't even know if he still has one or not. But when I look at this phone here, think about if you don't have a cell phone, you are blessed. Because I know there are some people in here who don't have cell phones. You are blessed beyond belief. How much has this little thing changed your life in the past five, ten years? How much has it changed your family? How much has it changed our society? Any restaurant you go to, any coffee shop you go to. Anywhere you go, you'll see families sitting together around the table. And they probably got their tongues sticking out. Uh, and they're all on their phone. This is an incredible piece of technology. It's incredible. It's powerful and it can be used for God's glory. And it ain't going away. I wish it would. But I've really struggled coming back into this culture with smartphones and cell phones. But I was thinking about how is Jesus changing you? That challenge question I'm going to give all of us. How is Jesus changing you? I began to think, how has our smartphone changed us? So every time you think of your smartphone, if you got one, I pray that you'll also ask, how is Jesus changing me? Acts chapter 3. If you close your Bibles, you can open back up. We're going to look at this story. It's a simple story. I love this story. But I find it sometimes really hard to preach because there's a miracle in it. And it's so fun to look at. But then I ask, Lord, where are the miracles for today? And they're here. But Acts chapter 3, you have Peter and John. Now, remember what I was saying earlier. These are two of the main leaders of the apostles. And they now have a church body of about 5,000 people that they're in charge of. Can you imagine the needs and their time constraints and everything that's going on? And we know that Peter was married. We don't know about John. But these are extremely busy men. And it says here in verse, in verse 1 that they're going up to the temple at the ninth hour at 3 p.m. in the afternoon to pray. We have to remember, they're still Jewish. They love Jesus and they've given their lives to Jesus. But these are Jewish men. Their whole lives. And in the Jewish culture, you prayed corporately three times a day. Morning, afternoon, and evening. And this is the afternoon prayer time. This is 3 o'clock. And they're going into the temple because they're now living in Jerusalem. There's the temple, which is the central act and place of worship. And both John and Peter are going up there. Just those two little guys are going to pray? No, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands of people coming into the temple for the time of prayer. And so they're coming in to pray. And they go through this gate called Beautiful. And there's this lame man. And it says here in verse chapter 2 in verse 2 that people carry him every day. How many times a week? How many days? Every day. And they place him at the gate to beg for money. So there he is every day begging for money. He was born lame. We don't know what he had, but he couldn't walk. He was born that way. And it says later on this man was in his 40s, I think. So could you imagine this man's life? Everywhere he wants or needs to go, someone else has to take him, has to carry him. Someone else probably has to put on his clothes. And because he is lame, he is probably an outcast. Do you guys remember what the disciples asked Jesus about the blind man? Lord, teacher, tell us, why was he born blind? Was it his sin or did his parents sin? They didn't even give a third option. So much of the time, many times, especially in that culture, if you were born with an infirmity, it had to have been your you did something. Your parents did something. God has cursed you with whatever disease or infirmity, whatever it is. So think about the life of this man. He is completely dependent on someone else. Yesterday, I was sitting at a Starbucks finishing the sermon. And this minivan pulled right up and it was down on Edmondson Pike right there in Nipper's Corner. And this young man got out and I thought it was a friend of mine from college. I almost got up and he pulled, they pulled into the, um, the handicap spot and he opened the it was a minivan. He opened it up. He got this baby stroller out and then it took about five minutes to get probably his wife out. And I thought, man, what happened to his wife? Oh, my goodness. But it didn't quite look like his wife. So I'm like, is that my buddy? Is that not my friend? Is that my friend who I haven't seen in years? And it took about five minutes for her to walk to this baby carriage. And there were two little kids, two and three, running all around. And they were walking to the pizza place. And it took them probably ten minutes for her to walk. And some man got up and said something to, to them. I don't know what he said, I know it couldn't have been ugly, because the husband probably would have punched him out, and it wasn't my friend from college. But this woman began to weep, and I, I got to think, it's like, oh, I wonder if she had something happen to her where she needs the help of her husband to take her anywhere and everywhere, And they've got two little ones running around. And so I just sat there and started thinking, "Wow, how hard of a life, what a burden they're carrying. I didn't talk to him. I didn't approach him. I almost went up and prayed for him. But after seeing this man talk to him. Who was a stranger. And her began to cry. I was like oh Jesus what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I probably chickened out. But I began to ponder. How hard. For both of them it is. Just to live the daily life. This beggar here. How hard it is for him every day to be dependent on someone else just to get up and walk. And he's at the temple gate every day asking for money. This man probably had heard about Jesus. He had probably maybe even seen Jesus when Jesus was alive going through up into the temple. Why didn't Jesus heal him? Was this man bitter inside? This Jesus has healed everybody else but me. We don't know. If James and John living a life of prayer, going in and out of the temple every day, I'm sure they saw this man every day. Did they have what's called compassion fatigue? Where you're so tired of helping others that you just can't help anybody else. Were they blind to this man and his needs? It is so easy to become blind and callous To the needs around us. Especially. If we're walking self-centered lives. Where all we think about is me. And myself and I. And what's on my agenda. What's on my plate. And what I've got to do. This man asks for money. And for whatever reason. And it's Holy Spirit led. Peter and John stop. And what does Peter tell this man? It says that they look at him. Very intently. And then Jesus, not Jesus, Peter tells this man, what does he say? What does he say? Look at us. Look at us. Have you ever tried looking at someone in the eyes? Is it hard? I might be making Josh feel really uncomfortable right now. But looking at someone in the eyes, what does that communicate? I remember growing up, we'd try to play the stare game, you know, try to stare. Whoever blinks first. Some of my friends, they would just let tears roll down. They were would not blink. But Jesus talks about the our eyes are the window of our soul. Looking at people in the eyes, there's this intimacy. There's this intimacy. And many times I can tell when my kids have done something wrong and not tell the truth. Why? Why? Well, A lot of times we don't want to look at people if we don't want to get in trouble or there's barriers or we're holding something back. But when you look at people in the eye, there's this connection. What is Peter trying to do? He's trying to help this man see, no, no, I see you. I see you. And this man asked for money. And Peter does not give him what he asked for. He gives him something far greater, far deeper, far more profound and lasting. Something that I can imagine this man didn't even imagine would ever happen. And that's a reflection of who our God is. Our King Jesus will answer us far more than what we could possibly ask or imagine. And I can imagine Peter, because Peter's already healed tons of people. He's already done tons of signs and wonders and miracles. He's been preaching and teaching. Jesus sent him out on mission trips before the crucifixion. And if you read the end of Acts chapter 2, it says that the people remained faithful to the apostles, to their teaching, and that the grace of God was upon them, and that the apostles were doing amazing signs and wonders. Jesus, Jesus Peter was a professional at the miraculous because he knew how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's grace was upon him. And I'm sure Peter was, I'm sure Holy Spirit was telling Peter, you're going to touch that man today with my power and my love and he'll never be the same. And I can imagine Peter was sensing that move in the Holy Spirit. So he wanted to get that man's attention. Look at us. And it says that the man was expecting to get something from them and oh, he got it. But it wasn't silver, it wasn't gold. Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have you, but what I do have you, I give you. Every time I read, read that, I, there's a Mexican-Spanish song we'd sing with our kids. We'd have a hundred kids. And you all started, and I'm not going to sing it to you guys, but you had to start down, squat it down, and you'd have your thumb. no ni plata. I don't have any silver or gold. I can't remember how it ends now. But What I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up. So all the kids, you know, there's a hundred kids in our little church doing this in Mexico. And then when I tell you to get up and jump, they'd jump up and start jumping around and spinning circles and running all around. And they loved that praise song. And Peter reaches out and takes them by the hand. And if you read carefully this story, the man wasn't healed until after Peter and John lifted him up. That's faith and action. Faith and action. Because true faith produces good works. Our good works doesn't save us. But true faith will produce obedience and action. And Peter knew through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was going to heal this man. And he tells him, what I do have, what I do have, I give you today. And that is Jesus and it's his life and it's his power. So I command you in the name of Jesus, in his name, get up. And he takes his hand down, and he touches this man, an outcast. He touches him with the power and love of Jesus, and he lifts him up, and it says that his ankles and his feet became strong. And then he starts, this man, they go into the temple, and this man is jumping around. Could you imagine? Could you imagine being healed like that, jumping around? I mean, I always make the comments when we see somebody score a touchdown or score a goal or they win whatever game, the stands goes crazy. Could you imagine this man for the first time in 40 plus years walking? And it says here, I think it says later on in verse 11. I lost it now. It says later on in this passage that this man clung to Peter and to John. How how do the people respond here in verse 10? In verse 9 it says, All the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened. And so they come up to, to Peter, they come up to John, and that's verse 11 to the end of the chapter. And Peter says some very powerful things. He says here in verse 13, In verse 12, Peter says, when Peter saw this, when he saw the crowd swarming to them, he addressed the people, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power and godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. Though he had decided to release him, you denied the holy and righteous one. And ask them to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life. Woof! Talking about not seeker sensitive. I mean, Peter's just sticking his finger out. You guys turned Jesus over to be killed. You guys denied the Holy One. You guys rejected him. You guys killed him. Talking about turning people away. But it was true. Peter's bringing great glory to Jesus because he's like, why do you think we did anything for this man? We have done nothing. But it's Jesus who God has glorified. And then he says here in verse 16, by faith in his name. You see, name, it's not some magical connotation, Jesus. But name represents everything that Jesus is. And the name, everything who Jesus is in his name, his power, who he is, has raised this man up to be healed. And then Peter goes on and he preaches Christ crucified. And he connects the Old Testament with the New Testament. And he says in verse 19, Therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come. And as Peter preaches, he's telling them to repent, to return from their sins, and to put their faith in Jesus in seasons of refreshing. That is so powerful. How do you feel when you sin and you try to cover it up and hold it in? How does it feel? What is it like when you refuse to repent of your sin? When you refuse to obey Holy Spirit's voice? It's so liberating, I bet, isn't it? No. It is a heavy burden. And Peter's calling these people to repent and to turn and to give their lives to Jesus. And there'll be times of refreshing. There'll be times of healing. Emotional healing. Spiritual healing. Physical healing. In Jesus' name. There's so many things from the story that we can learn. So many things that we can learn. One is just the power of prayer. Peter and John, I can imagine, were unbelievably busy and burdened. With leading this new church. The only church in the world. Of 5,000 people. And yet I would bet this time here. When they went to the temple to pray at 3 p.m. Was not the only time they did it. They probably lived it daily. The power of prayer. And I'm not going to ask you all the guilty questions. How long does it take you to get ready this morning? How many minutes have you prayed today? But I do want to ask. How important Is a life of prayer to you and to me. The apostles walked and they followed Jesus for three and a half years. And they finally asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they would see Jesus spending all night in prayer. They would see him get up early, early, early before the roosters were even crowing. Going to some quiet place and praying. And Jesus was constantly praying. Constantly praying. And they finally asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And not just praying privately, just one-on-one with the Lord, but praying together and corporately. And so Peter and John developed and they developed this lifestyle of prayer. And we do need to ask the question, do we truly live a life of prayer? Do we truly see our need for our Heavenly Father and to be in communion with Him? Because prayer is not just this to-do list, God, give me, give me, give me, I need, I need, I need. But it's this intimacy, it's this intimate relationship with him in worship and in praise and in thanksgiving and in confession. Sometimes just sitting quietly, not asking for anything. But it's just enjoying his presence. But we're called to live a life of prayer, individually and corporately. I read recently that most Americans spend three to four hours a day on their cell phones. It used to be five hours a day in front of the TV. How often do we spend dedicated time with our Heavenly Father? Peter and John lived it. Let's follow that example. The second thing I want to leave you with is this. Compassion for those in need. Compassion for the sick, for the hurting, for the outcast. Do you have eyes, the eyes of Jesus, to see others the way he sees them? Do you have Jesus' heart to stop for the one in need in your life and say, look at us? Do you have, do I have, do we have the compassion of Christ for those around us? Because God intentionally puts people in our lives... So that we can show them the love of Christ. Are our eyes open to that? The third thing is this. Power. In Jesus name. There is power. In Jesus name. And the word name in this context. Is who he is as a person. Do we truly believe and live a life. Expecting to see Holy Spirit supernatural power to heal the brokenhearted, to heal the sick, to transform lives and marriages, to transform and forgive sins, to draw sinners back to Himself, to bring reconciliation and transformation of people, families, and communities. The gospel is the power. Of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The fourth thing is this. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. Of how Jesus is changing our lives. Now I admit. This lame man here. Not being able to walk. Being healed and rising up and running around jumping. That's a story. Amen. That is a story. I used to struggle for years because this is my testimony. I was born in the church, went to church every single Sunday, hated church, didn't like church, was a goody two-shoe, didn't do anything wrong ever. That was my story before I came to know Jesus. Became a Christian in ninth grade, had some amazing men in my life who discipled me. I did not go off, do drugs, and sleep with women, and do a lot of alcohol, and kill a lot of people. And then one day, some big bright light came down upon me, and I fell off my horse, and I repented and became an evangelist. I don't have a huge testimony. And I used to struggle. Man, I don't have one of those awesome testimonies where, man, I was a total pagan, and Jesus showed up, and now I'm this amazing saint. And I would struggle for years. My testimony stinks. And God is like, what are you talking about, man? You're one of my trophies. Don't call yourself stinky. No, but seriously. We all have a story. We are all precious in his sight. And God is working his will and his way in your life. You have a story to tell of how Jesus is working in your life. Don't ever menospreciar. That's a word in Spanish and I love it. Don't ever belittle or make light of how God is working in your life. So my two questions are this. How is Jesus, how are you being changed by Jesus? This lame man has a huge story. But how are you being changed by Jesus? Not 30 years ago. Not even 10 years ago. Not even last year. Today, how is Jesus changing your life? And are you willing to share what he's doing in your life with others? My second question, I guess technically my third question is this. Who are the lost people in your life that God has placed in your life who you're praying to have gospel conversations with? God has placed people in your life. Where he wants you to be his witness, his testimony, and to share the gospel with. Who are those people? Let's stand. Let's pray. Jesus, I... Jesus, you not only took our sin upon yourself and shed your precious blood... And died on the cross for our sins. But you rose from the dead. And now you've given us your Holy Spirit. To empower us. To live and walk as you, as you walked. And you are changing us day by day. And may we never make a light. Of your work in our lives. And Jesus may we boldly share. Our story of how you. Are touching and transforming us. And Lord Jesus, may you open our eyes to see those in our life, those around us, who need to hear of your great love. May we pr- not only pray for those people, but may we stop, look at them in the eye, and give them you, Jesus. Father, we thank you and praise you. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. We're going to close in the psalm.